Hello, everyone. My name's Ariel. Yes, really. And this is Fairy Tale. A quick reminder before we get started. These are the original versions of the fairy tales, or as near to them as I could get, and they may not be suitable for children. This week, we finish the voyages of Sinbad the Sailor. The Sixth Voyage of Sinbad the Sailor It must be marvel to you how, after having five times met with shipwreck and unheard of perils, I could again tempt fortune and risk fresh trouble. I am even surprised myself when I look back, but evidently it is my fate to rove, and after a year of repose I prepared myself to make a sixth voyage, regardless of the entreaties of my friends and relations, who did all they could to keep me at home. Instead of going by the Persian Gulf, I traveled a considerable way overland, and finally embarked from a distant Indian port and a captain who meant to make a long voyage. And truly he did so, for we fell on stormy weather which drove us completely out of our course, so that for many days neither captain nor pilot knew where we were, nor where we were going. When they did at last discover our position, we had small ground for rejoice, for the captain, casting his turban upon the deck and tearing his beard, declared that we were in the most dangerous spot on the whole wide sea, and had been caught by a current which was at that minute sweeping us to destruction. It was too true. In spite of all the sailors could do, we were driven with frightful rapidity toward the foot of a mountain, which rose sheer out of the sea, and our vessel was dashed to pieces upon the rocks at its base. Not, however, until we had managed to scramble on shore, carrying with us the most precious of our possessions. When we had done this, the captain said to us, Now we are here, we may as well begin to dig our graves at once, since from this fatal spot no shipwrecked mariner has ever returned. The speech discouraged us much, and we began to lament our sad fate. The mountain formed the seaward boundary of a large island, and the narrow strip of rocky shore upon which we stood was strewn with the wreckage of a thousand gallant ships, while the bones of the luckless mariner shone white in the sunshine, and we shuddered to think how soon our own would be added to the heap. All around, too, lay vast quantities of the costliest merchandise, and treasures were heaped in every cranny of the rocks, but all these things only added to the desolation of the scene. It struck me as a very strange thing that a river of clear, fresh water, which gushed out from the mountain not far from where we stood, instead of flowing into the sea as rivers generally do, turned off sharply and flowed out of sight under a natural archway of rock, and when I went to examine it more closely, I found that inside the cave the walls were thick with diamonds and rubies and masses of crystal, and the floor was strewn with ambergris. Here, then, upon this desolate shore, we abandoned ourselves to our fate, for there was no possibility of scaling the mountain, and if a ship had appeared, it could only have shared our doom. The first thing our captain did was to divide equally among us the food we possessed, and then, at length, each man's life depended on the time he could make his portion last. I myself could live upon very little. Nevertheless, by the time I had buried the last of my companions, my stock of provisions was so small that I had hardly thought that I should live long enough to dig my own grave, which I set about doing. While I regretted bitterly the roving disposition which was always bringing me to such straits, I thought longingly of all the comfort and luxury that I had left. But, luckily for me, the fancy took me to stand once more beside the river, where it plunged out of sight of the depths of the cavern, and as I did so an idea struck me. This river, which hid itself underground, doubtless emerged again at some distant spot. 
Why should I not build a raft and trust myself to its swiftly flowing waters? If I perish before I could reach the light of day once more, I should be no worse off than I was now, for death stared me in the face. While there was always the possibility that, if I was born under a lucky star, I might find myself safe and sound in some desirable land, I decided at any rate to risk it, and speedily built myself a stout raft of driftwood with strong cords, of which enough and to spare lay strewn about the beach. I then made many packages of rubies, emeralds, rock crystal, ambergies, and precious stuffs, and bound them upon my raft, being careful to preserve the balance. And then I seated myself upon it, having two small oars that I had fashioned lay ready to my hand, and loosed the cord from which held it to the bank. Once out in the current, my raft flew swiftly into the gloomy archway, and I found myself in total darkness, carried smoothly forward by the rapid river. On I went, as it seemed to me, for many nights and days. Once the channel became so small I had the narrow escape of being crushed against the rocky roof, and after that I took the precaution of lying flat among my precious bales. Though I only ate what was absolutely necessary to keep myself alive, the inevitable moment came when, after swallowing my last morsel of food, I began to wonder if I must die after all of hunger. Then, worn out with anxiety and fatigue, I fell into a deep sleep, and when I again opened my eyes, I was once more in the light of day. A beautiful country lay before me, and my raft, which was tied to the riverbank, was surrounded by friendly-looking black men. I rose and saluted them, and they spoke to me in return, but I could not understand the words of their language. Feeling perfectly bewildered by my sudden return to life and light, I murmured to myself in Arabic, Close thine eyes, and while thou sleepest, heaven will change thy fortune from evil to good. One of the natives, who understood this tongue, then came forward, saying, My brother, be not surprised to see us, this is our land, and as we came to get water from the river, we noticed your raft floating down it, and one of us swam out and brought you to shore. We have waited for your awakening. Tell us now whence you come, and where you are going, by that dangerous way. I replied that nothing would please me better than to tell them, but that I was starving and would fain eat something first. I was soon supplied with all that I needed, and having satisfied my hunger, I told them faithfully all that had befallen me. They were lost in wonder at my tale when it was interpreted to them, and said that adventures so surprising must be related to their king only by the man to whom they had happened. So, procuring a horse, they mounted me upon it, and we set out, followed by several strong men and carrying my raft just as it was upon their shoulders. In this order, we marched into the city of Serendip, where the natives presented me to their king, whom I saluted in the Indian fashion, prostrating myself at his feet and kissing the ground. But the monarch bade me rise and sit beside him, asking first what was my name. I am Sinbad, I replied, whom men call the sailor, for I have voyaged much upon many seas. And how have you come here? asked the king. I told my story, concealing nothing, and his surprise and delight were so great that he ordered my adventures to be written in letters of gold and laid up in the archives of his kingdom. Presently my raft was brought in, and the bales opened in his presence, and the king declared that in all his treasury there were no such rubies and emeralds as those which lay in great heaps before him. Seeing that he looked at them with interest, I ventured to say that I myself and all that I had were at his disposal, but he answered me, smiling, Nay, Sinbad, heaven forbid I should covet your riches. I will rather add to them, for I desire that you shall not leave my kingdom without some tokens of my goodwill. He then commanded his officers to provide me with suitable lodgings at his expense, and sent slaves to wait upon me and carry my raft and my bales to my new dwelling place. You may imagine that I praised his generosity and gave him grateful thanks, nor did I fail to present myself daily in his audience chamber, 
For the rest of my time, I amused myself in seeing all that was most worthy of attention in the city. The island of Serendib, being situated on the equinoctial line, the days and nights are all of equal length. The chief city is placed at the end of a beautiful valley, formed by the highest mountain in the world, which is in the middle of the island. I had the curiosity to ascend to its very summit, for this was the place to which Adam was banished out of paradise. Here are found rubies and many precious things, and rare plants grow abundantly, with cedar trees and cocoa palms. On the seashore and mouths of the rivers, the divers seek for pearls, and in some valleys diamonds are plentiful. After many days I petitioned the king that I might return to my own country, to which he graciously consented. Moreover, he loaded me with rich gifts, and when I went to take leave of him, he entrusted me with a royal present and a letter to the commander of the faithful, our sovereign lord, saying, I pray you give this to the caliph Harun al-Rashid, and assure him of my friendship. I accepted the charge respectfully, and soon embarked upon the vessel which the king himself had chosen for me. The king's letter was written in blue characters upon a rare and precious skin of yellowish color, and these were the words of it. The king of the Indies, before whom walk a thousand elephants, who lives in a palace of which the roof blazes with a hundred thousand rubies, and whose treasure house contains twenty thousand diamond crowns, to the caliph Harun al-Rashid sends greetings. Though the offering we present to you is unworthy of your notice, we pray you to accept it as a mark of the esteem and friendship of which we cherish for you, and of which we gladly send you this token, and we ask of you a like regard if you deem us worthy of it. Adieu, brother. The present consisted of a vase carved from a single ruby, six inches high and as thick as my finger. This was filled with the choicest pearls, large and of perfect shape and luster. Secondly, a huge snakeskin with scales as large as a sequin, which would preserve from sickness those who slept upon it. Then quantities of aloes woods, camphor, and pistachio nuts, and lastly, a beautiful slave girl, whose robes glittered with precious stones. After a long and prosperous voyage, we landed at Balsora, and I made haste to reach Baghdad, and taking the king's letter, I presented myself at the palace gate, followed by the beautiful slave and various members of my own family bearing the treasure. As soon as I had declared my errand, I was conducted to the presence of the caliph, to whom, after I made my obeisance, I gave the letter and the king's gift, and when he had examined them, he demanded of me whether the prince of Serendib was really as rich and powerful as he claimed to be. Commander of the faithful, I replied, again bowing humbly before him, I can assure your majesty that he has in no way exaggerated his wealth and grandeur. Nothing can equal the magnificence of his palace. When he goes abroad, his throne is prepared on the back of an elephant, and on either side of him ride his ministers, his favorites, and courtiers. On his elephant's neck sits an officer, his golden lance in hand, and behind him stands another bearing a pillar of gold, at the top of which is an emerald as long as my hand. A thousand men in cloth of gold mounted upon richly caparisoned elephants go before him, and as the procession moves onward, the officer who guides his elephant cries aloud, Behold the mighty monarch, the powerful and valiant sultan of the Indies, whose palace is covered with a hundred thousand rubies, who possesses twenty thousand diamond crowns. Behold a monarch greater than Solomon and Mirage in all their glory. Then the one who stands behind the throne answers, This king, so great and powerful, must die, must die, must die. And the first takes up the chant again, All praise to him who lives forevermore. Further, my lord, in Serendib no judge is needed, for to the king himself his people come for justice. The caliph was well satisfied with my report. From the king's letter, said he, 
I judge that he was a wise man. It seems that he is worthy of his people, and his people of him. So saying, he dismissed me with rich presents, and I returned in peace to my own house. When Sinbad had done speaking, his guests withdrew, Hinbad having first received a hundred sequins, but all returned the next day to hear the story of the seventh voyage. Sinbad thus began. The Seventh and Final Voyage of Sinbad the Sailor After my sixth voyage, I was quite determined that I would go to sea no more. I was now of an age to appreciate a quiet life, and I had run risks enough. I only wished to end my days in peace. One day, however, when I was entertaining a number of friends, I was told that an officer of the caliph wished to speak to me, and when he was admitted, he bade me to follow him to the presence of Harun al-Rashid, which I accordingly did. After I saluted him, the caliph said, I have sent for you, Sinbad, because I need your services. I have chosen you to bear a letter and a gift to the king of Serendib in return for his message of friendship. The caliph's commandment fell upon me like a thunderbolt. Commander of the faithful, I answered, I am ready to do all that your majesty commands, but I humbly pray you to remember that I am utterly disheartened by the unheard of sufferings I have undergone. Indeed, I have made a vow never again to leave Baghdad. With this, I gave him a long account of some of my strangest adventures, to which he listened patiently. I admit, said he, that you have indeed had some extraordinary experiences, but I do not see why they should hinder you from doing as I wish. You have only to go straight to Serendib and give my message, then you are free to come back and do as you will. But go you must, my honor and dignity demand it. Seeing that there was no help for it, I declared myself willing to obey, and the caliph, delighted at having got his own way, gave me a thousand sequins for the expenses of my voyage. I was soon ready to start, and taking the letter and the present, I embarked at Balsora, and sailed quickly and safely to Serendib. The End I'm kidding. Here, when I disclosed my errand, I was well received and brought into the presence of the king, who greeted me with joy. Welcome, Sinbad, he cried. I have thought of you often and rejoiced to see you once more. After thanking him for the honor he did me, I displayed the caliph's gifts. First a bed with complete hangings, all cloth of gold, which cost a thousand sequins, and another like unto it of crimson stuff. Fifty robes of rich embroidery, a hundred of the finest white linen from Cairo, Suez, Kufa, and Alexandria, then more beds of different fashion, and an agate vase carved with the figure of a man aiming an arrow at a lion, and finally a costly table which had once belonged to King Solomon. The king of Serendib received with satisfaction the assurance of the caliph's friendliness towards him, and now my task being accomplished, I was anxious to depart. But it was some time before the king would think of letting me go. At last, however, he dismissed me with many presents, and I lost no time in getting on board a ship, which sailed at once, and for four days all went well. On the fifth day we had the misfortune to fall in with pirates, who seized our vessel, killing all who resisted, and making prisoners of those who were prudent enough to submit at once, of whom I was one. When they had despoiled us of all we possessed, they forced us or to put on vile raiment, and sailing to a distant island, there sold us for slaves. I fell into the hands of a rich merchant, who took me home with him, and clothed and fed me well, and after some days sent for me and questioned me as to what I can do. I answered that I was a rich merchant who had been captured by pirates, and therefore I knew no trade. Tell me, said he, can you shoot with a bow? I replied that this had been one of the pastimes of my youth, and that doubtless with practice my skill would come back to me. 
Upon this, he provided me with a bow and arrows, and mounting me with him upon his own elephant, took the way into a vast forest which lay far from the town. When we reached the wildest part of it, we stopped, and my master said to me, This forest swarms with elephants. Hide yourself in this great tree, and shoot all that pass you. When you have succeeded in killing one, come and tell me. So saying, he gave me a supply of food, and returned to the town, and I perched myself high upon the tree and kept watch. That night I saw nothing. But just after sunrise, the next morning, a large herd of elephants came crashing and trampling by. I lost no time in letting fly several arrows, and at last one of the great animals fell to the ground dead, and the others retreated, leaving me free to come down from my hiding place and run back to tell my master of my success, for which I was praised and regaled with good things. Then we went back to the forest together and dug a mighty trench in which we buried the elephant I had killed, in order that when it became a skeleton, my master might return and secure its tusks. For two months I hunted thus, and no day passed without my securing an elephant. Of course, I did not always station myself in the same tree, but sometimes in one place and sometimes another. One morning, as I watched the coming of the elephants, I was surprised to see that, instead of passing the tree I was in as I usually did, they paused and completely surrounded it, trumpeting horribly, and shaking the very ground with their heavy tread. And when I saw that their eyes were fixed upon me, I was terrified, and my arrows dropped from my trembling hand. I had indeed good reason for my terror when, an instant later, the largest of the animals wound his trunk around the stem of my tree, and with one mighty effort tore it up by the roots, bringing me to the ground entangled in its branches. I thought now that my last hour was surely come, but the huge creature, picking me up gently enough, set me upon its back, where I clung more dead than alive, and followed by the whole herd, turned and crashed off into the dense forest. It seemed to me a long time before I was once more set upon my feet by the elephant, and I stood as if in a dream watching the herd, which turned and trembled off in another direction, and were soon hidden in the dense underwood. Then, recovering myself, I looked about me and found that I was standing upon the side of a great hill, strewn as far as I could see on either hand with bones and tusks of elephant. This, then, must be the elephant's burying place, I said to myself, and they must have brought me here that I might cease to persecute them, seeing as I want nothing but their tusks, and here lie more than I could carry away in a lifetime. Whereupon I turned and made for the city as fast as I could, not seeing a single elephant by the way, which convinced me that they had retired deeper into the forest to leave the way open to the ivory hill, and I did not know how sufficiently to admire their sagacity. After a day and a night, I reached my master's house, and was received by him with joyful surprise. "'Ah, poor Sinbad!' he cried. "'I was wondering what could have become of you. "'When I went to the forest, I found a tree newly uprooted, "'and the arrows lying beside it. "'I feared I should never see you again. "'Pray, tell me how you escaped death.' "'I soon satisfied his curiosity, "'and the next day we went together to the ivory hill, "'and he was overjoyed that I had told him nothing but the truth.' When we loaded our elephant with as many tusks as it could carry, and we were on our way back to the city, he said, My brother, since I can no longer treat as a slave, one who has enriched me thus, take your liberty, and may heaven prosper you. I will no longer conceal from you that these wild elephants have killed numbers of our slaves every year. No matter what good advice we gave them, they were caught sooner or later. You alone have escaped the wiles of these animals, therefore you must be under the special protection of heaven. Now, through you, the whole town will be enriched without further loss of life. Therefore, you shall not only receive your liberty, but I will also bestow a fortune upon you.
To which I replied, Master, I thank you and wish you all prosperity. For myself, I only ask liberty to return to my own country. It is well, he said. The monsoon will soon bring the ivory ships hither, and I will send you on it in your way with somewhat to pay your passage. So I stayed with him till the time of the monsoon, and every day we added to our store of ivory till his warehouses were overflowing with it. By this time, the other merchants knew the secret, but there was enough and to spare for all. When the ships at last arrived, my master himself chose the one in which I was to sail, and put on board for me a great store of choice provisions, also ivory in abundance, and all the costliest curiosities of the country, for which I could not thank him enough, and so we parted. I left the ship at the first port we came to, not feeling at ease upon the sea after all that had happened to me by reason of it, and having disposed of my ivory for much gold, and bought many rare and costly presents, I loaded my pack animals and joined a caravan of merchants. Our journey was long and tedious, but I bore it patiently, reflecting that at last I had not to fear tempests, nor pirates, nor serpents, nor any of the other perils from which I had suffered before, and at length we reached Baghdad. My first care was to present myself before the caliph and give him account of my embassy. He assured me that my long absence had disquieted him much, but he had nevertheless hoped for the best. As to my adventure among the elephants, he heard it with amazement, declaring he could not have believed it had not my truthfulness been well known to him. By his orders, this story and the others I have told him were written by his scribes in letters of gold and laid up among his treasures. I took my leave of him, well satisfied with the honors and rewards he bestowed upon me, and since that time I have rested from my labors and given myself up to wholly to my family and my friends. Thus, Sinbad added the story of his seventh and last voyage, and turning to Hindbad, he added, Well, my friend, what do you think now? Have you ever heard of anyone who has suffered more or had more narrow escapes than I have? Is it not just that I should now enjoy a life of ease and tranquility? Hinbad drew near, and kissing his hand respectfully, replied, Sir, you have indeed known fearful perils. My troubles have been nothing compared to yours. Moreover, the generous use you make of your wealth proves that you deserve it. May you live long and happily in the enjoyment of it. Sinbad then gave him a hundred sequins, and henceforth counted him among his friends. Also, he caused him to give up his profession as a porter, and to eat daily at his table that he might all his life remember. Sinbad, the sailor. At last, we've reached the end of this voyage. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have any suggestions for the upcoming spooky season and have any particular scaries, or scary or darker fairy tales you would like me to cover, please feel free to reach out to me at chaoslilycreations at gmail.com or chaoslilycreations on Facebook or Instagram. You can also reach out to us and support our podcast at Fairy Tale Podcast on Patreon or at ko-fi.com slash chaos underscore lily. That's lily, L-I-L-L-Y in all cases. Scott Hill is my editor. Our theme is Passing Beauty by Dan Philipson and licensed through premiumbeats.com. Thank you all for listening. Now, go cause little chaos and shine a light in dark places. This is Ariel. Swimming off.
I guess we'll go ahead and do the opening again. And you can just cut it out if you decide not to use it. Why does that seem to be a cue for alarms to start going off? And the floor was strewn with ambergine. Ambergris? Was strewn with ambergris. After swallowing my last morsel of flute, we marched to the city of Serendip. Serendip. But he answered. Answered. <laughs> to the Caliph Harun al-Rashid. Send greeting, sends greetings, and in procession moves onward the officer who guides his elephant. And as the procession moves forward, further, my lord, in Serendip, no judge is needed for the king himself. His people come, mm. for I have voyaged much to pun. For I have wicked. Stop it. Through the offering, wicked. Wicket. Wicket. After my sixth voyage, I was quite determined. Okay, who's playing Fast and Furious? Seriously. Sorry, Scott.